all this evening. I appreciate you being here. If you're visiting with us, we especially welcome you. We are thankful that you're in our midst this evening. We want you to feel at home. Our purpose is to study the Word of God together tonight and sing songs of praise together. We're thankful that you've joined us in that. We appreciate you being here. To all of you that have been here all week and uh, have been uh, singing and studying together, I hope the week has been a blessing to you. It certainly has been for me. I want to talk to you about a subject tonight that I think is fundamental, very foundational to our Christian walk. And I will tell you, it's probably the most difficult sermon I have to try to get a concept across to an audience. So I really want you to to pay attention, engage, and, and, and get the concept. It really is a fundamental concept that's important. And I'll explain to you later in the sermon that the reason why I built the sermon. But I've entitled the sermon, Moral Choices. Okay? We go through life and we've got a lot of things to choose. And how do we make those moral choices? And I want to start with a, a story from Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. I've got the text. You can follow with me in your text if you'd like to read. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession, kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part, laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in... Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the lamb for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. And then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now, that's the King James rendering of that story. And let me put it in the Thaiese version of that story and put it in Texan for you. Well, you've got a husband and a wife that uh, they, they see what's happening in the first century church. If you go to the end of Acts chapter 4, they've got people selling possessions. They're laying down money and possessions and things down at the apostles' feet. And the, and the church has grown. And if you back up a little bit further to that, you've got... Jesus Christ dying on a cross. He's got 12 disciples that he has to gather up after, or at least 11 of them, he has to gather up after his resurrection. He walks with them for 40 days, showing them many infallible uh, proofs of his passion. And uh, that those 11 disciples and Jesus turned into 120 there by the time you get to the end of Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 2, you've got over 3,000 obeyed the gospel. By the time you get to Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, gets up to 5,000, specifically men. And then we see phrases that the church of Jerusalem was uh, multiplied greatly. They just continued to multiply. And so you've got a church here at Jerusalem that has just started. It's fresh. People are laying down possessions at the apostles' feet. They're wanting for this to help the church growth. And they've got thousands of people. They've got a challenge on their hands. They've got a problem. Trying to take care of all the needs that need to happen. And it's just, Ananias and Sapphira see what's happening. And they want to be a part of it. And so they take a piece of land. And I don't know how much the land was worth and how much it was sold for. The scriptures don't tell us. But let's assume for just a moment that the land, in a hypothetical sort of way, that the land was worth $10,000. 
And they said, we're going to sell our land for $10,000. We're going to put it at the apostles' feet. And, and in reality, they said, we've got land. We're going to put it down at the apostles' feet. But instead of putting 10,000 at the apostles' feet, they put 5,000 at the apostles' feet. And they co- hold back part of the price of the land. But they want to look like they're doing what everybody else is doing, laying it all down at the apostles' feet. They're giving it all for the kingdom, doing it all for the, for the church, etc. So here's the point I want to make out of the whole story. I just want you to get this concept. They wanted to look like givers, but in reality they were liars. Okay? They wanted to look like givers, but in reality they were liars. And you and I have a word for that in our language. We call that what? A hypocrite. Right? How many of y'all have ever wanted to look like something, but in reality you were something else? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine. You know, sometimes we're concerned about how we're perceived by other people, but in reality down deep inside there's a problem or uh, there's some sort of a moral issue or there's some sort of a corruptness. In, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talked about, Oh, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. On the outside you look like a whited sepulcher, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. And all uncleanness. The reality is that you want to look like something on the outside, but on the inside there's really a problem. That's what I want to talk to you about. You certainly, there's nothing wrong with being a giver. I think you guys would agree with that. Scriptures teach we ought to be a giver. We ought to be a giving type person. It wasn't a problem that they wanted to sell a a piece of property and lay it down at the apostles' feet. That wasn't a problem. The problem was that's not really what they were doing. They were trying to look like they were doing something. In reality, they were doing something totally different. And it was rotten on the inside. It was rotten to the core. And in this case, it cost them their life. Both the husband and the, and the wife ended up dead and buried next to one another because they were really rotten to the inside. Okay? Now, that being said, I want you to follow my chart here. They wanted to be a giver, but in reality, they were a liar. Now, if we put those two moral choices up in front of you and we say, do you want to be a giver or a liar? It's a pretty easy answer, isn't it? We go, well, I'm going to take giving. You know, I, I, I think the lying part, probably not a good idea. And we can do that with several other subjects. I want to do that just to walk you through the exercise. When we talk about judgment... I'm talking about not being judgmental to somebody, but giving fair judgment to somebody, that somebody that you're reasonable and fair, et cetera, to somebody. Would you take that or arrogance? And you say, well, I'm going to take fair judgment. Okay? Mercy or pride? Well, I'm going to be on the mercy side. Okay? Those are easy choices for us. Mentally, we can go, yeah, mercy. I'm all in. Mercy. Pride, we know God resisted the proud, give the grace to the humble, that's not good. Mercy, we're good with. Faith or ignorance? Well, I'm going to take faith. Ignorance, bad, faith, good. Not a difficult choice for us. Forgiveness or resentment? You say, well, this is pretty easy. I'm going to go forgiveness on this one. Resentment is not good. That's not going to be beneficial to me in my Christian walk. Love or hate? I'm going love. Okay? Uh, hate, not good. Love, good. Okay? Easy choice as far as grace or envy. Meekness, strife. You know, gentleness or bitterness. You know, when we look at those choices and we run down, it's pretty easy to stay on the left side and go, yeah, we don't like resentment and hate and envy and, 
strife and all that sort of stuff on the right-hand side of that column, those are easy moral choices for us. We say, I'm going to take good and I'm going to walk away from evil. Now, you would think that's easy for us. Ananias and Sapphira seemed to have a problem with that. They wanted to look like they were givers, but in reality, they were liars. And, you know, sometimes people really do have a problem with the left side of this. They want to look like they give fair judgment and mercy and forgiveness and love and grace and all those things. But in reality, what, how do we live? Sometimes on the right side of that column. That's the challenging part for us. And we've got a name for that. We call that, well, that's hypocritical. You're preaching one thing, but you're living something totally different. Okay? Matthew 23, verse number 23. I want you to analyze this verse with me. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and an ice and cumin and, or cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Here's the challenge for us. Is sometimes we're left with two good choices and we still have to make moral choices. I want to talk to you about some of that. Analyze this verse with me, first of all. He said, these ought ye to have done. What kind of things was he talking about? He was talking about judgment, mercy, and faith. He's saying you should have done those things. Nobody's saying those things should not have been done. In fact, these are the things you should have done. Now, notice though, he said you should not have left the other things undone. Okay? The other uh, things still needed to have been done. What were those things? Paying tithes. He was talking to the Jewish people. Paying tithes. Those are good things. Paying tithes, being a giver, that's a good thing. But you left out judgment, mercy, faith. Okay? Now, both of those things are still good things to do. Do you pay your tithes? In the case of being a Jewish person under the old law where tithing was commandment, commanded, do you pay your tithes or do you show judgment, mercy, and faith? Those are actually two good choices. But the problem was is they picked one of those choices, but they left the other undone. He said you shouldn't have left not to leave the other undone. What kind of things was he talking about? The tithing. You still should have been doing that, but you still should have had... Judgment, mercy, and faith because they were weightier matters of the law. More important things. So, you know, sometimes we have two good choices and sometimes you still have to pick the better choice of the two that are weightier matters of the law that still have to be done and not saying the other choice doesn't need to be done. Okay? But there's one that's weightier, one that's more important than the other, and both still need to be accomplished when it's said and done. Look at another passage in Luke 11, verse number 42. Woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done, and not leave the others undone. What things should they have done? They should have done uh, judgment, fair judgment, the love of God. That should have been done. But they also said, don't leave the other things undone. What other things? Paying your tithes, being a giver, etc. Under the time that Jesus was living and talking about this particular issue. Now, look at this though. There are some weightier matters. You have two good choices. Both choices need to be done, but one's still more important than the other. Weightier matters of the law. So I want to run that chart by you again, and I want to talk to you about some other things If I said, is giving more important than loving your wife? You say, well, both of those things need to be done. You're exactly right. 
Both of those things need to be done. But let me tell you why I put those choices up here. Occasionally in traveling the country and over 35 years of doing church work, I can tell you honestly, there are times when you'll have an individual in a particular congregation that seems to create a lot of chaos in the congregation. And it just kind of raises red flags in my world. Because I cannot tell you the number of times that person that was the super righteous created a lot of conflict and couldn't work together as a team and, and always had all the answers for everything that had to be done. Come to find out he's beaten his wife. Let me ask you a question. All of those other things he's talking about at church, are they important to be done? Yeah. But it's also important to be a moral person. It's, a, it's important to make sure you're not beating your wife in the process, right? Loving your wife. We look at script passages of Scripture. You're familiar with them. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church he gave himself for it. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives. Be not bitter against them. You know, there's commands for loving your wife just like there's commands for some of these other things. And we shouldn't leave these other things undone. Not saying they're not important, but I'm saying there's some weightier matters of the law. You ought to be loving your wife in the process of talking about some of these other things in the process. Now, I've got training your children up here. <clears throat> Again, I'll tell you why I've got it up there is we'll have an individual that seems to create chaos in a congregation, not because they're not, or you think they're good people, they're... Wanting good things. The church ought to be doing this. church ought to be doing that. church ought to be doing that. Yeah, we should. And then those red flags come up. You find out the guy's abusing his children. Maybe sexually molesting his children or whatever the situation is. And so we've got a guy in a church setting saying, we ought to do this, we ought to do this, we ought to do this. Oh, it's important to be that. But in reality, there's some rottenness to the core. Something's wrong. And you know, the reality is both of those things need to be done. And not only that, one of them's weightier than the other one. One of them's more important than the other one. Not saying the other's not important. Do not leave here tonight and say, Ty said that, that the, the other is unimportant. You just have to do the great. No, they're both important. But some of them are more important. And getting that rottenness out of the core is obviously very important. The Bible teaches about training children, bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. It's an important role in, in training children and nurturing children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's important. Sometimes a weightier matter of the law. Providing for your family. You get a guy behind the pulpit and he's preaching the Word of God. He's saying, well, you ought to be doing this and you ought to be doing that and you ought to be doing that. He ain't even got a job. Other people are paying his bills. Other people are taking care of his family. Other people are, whatever the scenario is, chaos at home, but he's in the pulpit telling you how you ought to be living your life. All I'm saying is that sometimes there's weightier matters of the law. I'm not saying leave the other thing undone. I'm saying that there's weightier matters. There's things that we ought to do. First Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8, if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own house, he had denied the faith. And is worse than an infidel. What about sexual purity? Faith or sexual purity? You go, well, they're both choices you need. You're exactly right. They both need to be done. But we can get up all day long and talk about faith in God. And, oh, I believe in God. And faith in God and all that. And on that, in real life, I'm living a life that's sexually immoral. Or I'm sexually impure. 
something's rotten to the core, we're not getting the concept that sometimes there's weightier matters of the law that we're not getting. Matthew 5, verse number 28. I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. No, Jesus spoke to these issues, these deeper issues that we need to take care of. Forgiveness or a theological disagreement? Let me tell you why I put this up here. Do you know how many branches there are of the Lord's church? You know, it doesn't take you very long to start. I mean, literally, we could be here half the night talking about anything from one container issues to Bible classes and located ministers and night communion and pinchers and breakers and all different types of issues related to that brothers in Christ divide themselves over and we could just keep going. There's a ton of those issues. And I can tell you right now, this is the reason I put this sermon together. A young lady came up to me and she was very proud of the fact that she had convinced her boyfriend on a particular issue. Pick the issue. It doesn't matter. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. One of those things that divides the body of Christ. That's just shameful that the church is divided over those things. But she's very proud of the fact she's converted her boyfriend. And in the next paragraph, she talks about that she's living with her boyfriend that she's not married to outside of marriage. And I've just got to be honest with you. I'm standing there going, my mind is, my brain is just like exploding in my head. And I'll tell you, we, we're struggling. If our young people know the theological disagreements more than they understand sexual purity, or they, they understand the, the theological arguments of passage more than they understand living a moral life for Christ, they're not being touched by Christ. They're not getting the message of Christ. You know, Christ is has given us an example to be the kind of people that we need to be. And He's taught us the kind of people that we need to be. But we've got the arguments down. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. If we're fighting over the arguments, and over here there's something rotten to the core. Y'all getting the concept of what I'm talking about? Somebody's missing something. We're sitting in a pew, but we ain't got a clue where the ball's at. And I've kind of mixed metaphors, I apologize, but it kind of reminds me, in our part of the country, there was a young lady that called me and she said, she'd grown up going to church, sitting on a pew, etc. And she goes, you know, there's another group down the road, are they any different than us? Or, you know, whatever, is it, what's it? And it kind of reminds me of when I was a t-ball coach for my girls. That I spent most of my t-ball coaching career, if you call it a career, I was standing next to the dugout, leaning up against the dugout, with my foot up on the chain link, going, Stop kicking the dirt! Hey, watch the ball! Because these little girls, bless them, loved every one of them, but the last thing, they had a uniform on, they had a glove in their hand. The last thing, though, they understood was where the ball was at. They didn't have a clue where the ball was at. We've got church members that are doing that. They're sitting on a pew, but they ain't got a clue what's going on. I want to tell you, if you're understanding the theological arguments, but you, you're not living the Christian life that Christ has asked us to live, you're missing the point. You ain't got a clue where the ball's at. There's my mixed metaphor in the process. We could keep going. Love. Right, let's look at Galatians chapter 1. I want to get all 69 slides in. 
Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 8. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we appreciate to you, let him be a curse. Obviously, I believe in the Word of God, and I believe we need to obey every word of the Word of God. That's important stuff. And I'm not saying leave those things undone. I'm just saying there's more important stuff. There's weightier matters of law. Don't leave here tonight and go, Brother Ty's a liberal. He doesn't think that other stuff's important. He's just saying if we all love one another, we all live a good life and all that sort of stuff, that's all that's important. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is all of it's important. And to the core, there's weightier matters, and that is the kind of person you are. Very important. Marital fidelity. I cannot tell you the numbers of stories. And we get guys in the church and they'll sit in a business meeting of the church and they'll talk about how this and that and all the right and you know, etc. And kind of find out they're cheating on their wife. Stop! What are we doing? There's something rotten to the core. If we've got all the arguments down, but we don't have morality down, we don't have the core thing down, that our life is molded and shaped after the image of Christ. Romans 13, verse number 9, you know the passage says don't commit adultery. Don't leave the other undone. I'm just saying that there's weightier matters of the law. We might have a doctrinal difference. Now, I'll tell you all this really makes sense when it's other people, right? Can't believe those people. You know how they are. And then one day Leland and I are in a Bible discussion and we disagree. Before it's over, I'm yelling nose to nose with my own brother who loves the Word of God, who cares about Scripture, and I'm yelling and screaming nose to nose over a Bible argument because we disagree on a passage of Scripture. See, you know how they are. You know, the reality is, that's the way I am. Right? Because it's passionate to me. I want to win the argument or whatever. You know the reality is? I'm supposed to be the kind of person I'm supposed to be. Regardless of whether I disagree with the other person on the biblical argument. And we fail to remember that. We start fighting with people. that Man, you know, there's a joke. I don't know if you guys have heard it or whatever. But uh, Justin used to tell this joke. That said somebody was fixing to commit suicide off a bridge. And somebody came up to him and said... Uh, man, you don't want to commit suicide off a bridge. And he says, I have nothing to live for. He said, oh, yeah, you've got a lot to live for. He said, uh, you know, do you go to church or whatever? He said, yeah, I go to church A down the street. He said, I go to church A down the street. He said, well, do you uh, belong to the council of 1845 with church A? And he said, yeah. And he said, I do too. And he said, do you belong to the to the blue side of the council of the church A down the street? Yeah, I do too. And he said, well, do you uh, believe that you ought to wear leather shoes and go to the blue side of the church of, you know, etc. and all the different divisions that they went through? And finally he goes, oh no, we don't do leather. And he said, die, you heretic, and pushed him off the bridge. You know, we can agree on 900 issues, but we got one and I'm angry with you. I'm mad at you. I am... I hate to use this word, but I... H-A-T-E-U? Really? I can get to a point where I've got that kind of division with a brother that I can't show love with a brother because I disagree with him over something? 
we're missing something, aren't we? When I say we, I mean me. I'm not saying the other things are not important. I'm not saying they shouldn't be discussed. I'm not saying they shouldn't be analyzed and Scripture open to those issues. I'm just saying that that when it's said and done, I'm supposed to be the kind of person I'm supposed to be, even in discussing those things. And I'm still supposed to love my brother in the process. Offer grace. And then we can put it in the case of denominations out there. Do we pick gentleness or denominationalism? You say, well, you know how they are. They, those people, right? And you know, the reality is that we're going to have friends that disagree with us on biblical passages that are our friends. And you know what we're supposed to be? The kind of people God wants us to be. We don't hate people. We don't dislike people. We don't shun people. We love people. We care about people. There are weightier matters of the law. I'm not saying the other should be left undone. I'm not saying throw out every argument for what the scriptures teach about something. In fact, I believe even more so we ought to be obedient to those things. We ought to be sharing those things with people. We ought to be doing it in a way that expresses love and concern for these people. Now, I want to leave you with some lessons I think we can learn from the concept. And I want to talk to you. This is a concept I'm trying to get over tonight. There's some lessons I think we can learn from this concept. And number one, we, you and I, moms and dads, need to provide a loving culture in our home and church and to provide an atmosphere for spiritual growth. And it's up to us to do that. Either we can provide the atmosphere that says we're going to fight with one another, we're going to hate each other, we're going to dislike each other severely, we're going to argue with each other, or we can provide a culture. We are creating the culture that we're in. Us. And I don't want you to look at your neighbor and say, well, if so brother so-and-so wasn't here, then, you know, we would have the culture we need. No, I'm saying we, me, Ty, develops the culture that he lives in. And that example is a culture of the type of person I am in whatever environment that I'm in. I was at a chamber meeting one day in our community and the superintendent for our schools got up at that chamber meeting. And he used this phrase that culture trumps strategy every time. And I don't know that I 100% agree with the phrase. I'm not putting it out here to, for you to quote it and go, oh yeah, culture trumps strategy every time. Because I think there's some exceptions to that. But let me tell you the point he was trying to make. And if you get the point, I think it makes sense. He was saying that in our public school system today, we can create all kinds of strategies. We're going to bring in kids early. We're going to feed them breakfast. And we're going to uh, do some certain test in the morning. We're going to keep the temperature at certain degrees so that they can think clear. And we're going to this and we're going to that. And we're going to create. And then we're going to give them play time because that's going to help. And we're going to create all these strategies to try to help this child succeed. And he said, here's the problem. I'm fighting them at home. I'm fighting the culture that they're growing up in. I'm fighting the moms and dads and the brothers and sisters, the culture that's been developed around these children. And he said, I'm just telling you at the end of the day, and he wasn't trying to be defeatist. He said, I'm all for doing strategy and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, 
you're fighting a culture these kids are growing up in. And it's a tough battle. And his analysis at the end was culture trump strategy every time. He's still trying to strategize, but he's got a ton of work on his hands to try to beat a culture that he's fighting against to help these kids succeed in life. I'll tell you, church is no different. We can sit in business meetings and we can talk about buildings and we can talk about fellowship time and we can talk about play days and we can talk about all the different strategies to try to engage kids and we can talk about trying to have fun memorizing verses and we can we can do all that stuff and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do at all. I'm just saying that if that same child is going home to chaos and mom and dads are not doing the things mom and dads need to do, Culture is going to trump strategy every time. And it's up to moms and dads that are in this room tonight to establish a culture that's a loving environment for a child to be nurtured in. And an atmosphere to allow a church to grow in. It's up to you and me. And when I say you and me, it's up to me. And I want you to take it that personally. I want you to say it's not somebody else's responsibility to provide that culture. When you open your mouth and speak to your brother and sister in Christ, you are creating a culture in that congregation. When you look across the room and you think something, you're creating a culture in a congregation. When you shun somebody or you give a look and say, I don't like you or I don't care about you, you're creating a culture in a congregation. And I want to tell you all the strategy in the world is not going to dominate over a culture. I'm not preaching this at you because I've seen a culture that was bad. I see a culture that's great. You guys have a great environment here. God bless you in that. I'm encouraging you this evening or hoping to encourage you this evening to keep it. Because cultural Trump strategy every time. We could put nearly any doctrinal message. not saying we should. I'm saying you could put nearly any doctrinal message in there. And culture is going to be more powerful than all of those things. And I'm not saying do that. Obviously, I want the doctrine of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want the scriptures to be honored. But if you don't believe me, look around you and there's 19,346 different churches all preaching different doctrines. And some of them are busting out the seams with people. And I'm telling you, it comes down to culture. It comes down to people wanting to be there and wanting to be a part of what those things are. Fathers, lead, lead, lead. You are establishing a culture. You're establishing a culture in your home. You're establishing a culture with your children. Lead, train, 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 encourage, encourage, encourage. Occasionally you'll run across those people, they seem to have the gift of discouragement. You know, they have the gift that wants to tear down. Be the person that's encouraging and building up. And I would encourage you, Father, stand up and be strong in these things. Lead. Train. Encourage. You're establishing a culture. Another thing I'd like to mention to you this evening is to be self-aware. And I think we all struggle with that from time to time. We, we a lot of times do not see ourselves like other people see us. And it's called the looking in the mirror sort of thing. And a lot of us are very ignorant to the fact of how we're perceived by other people. We see ourselves a lot of times much in a much brighter light. 
I can forgive myself of my shortcomings. That's not a problem. The problem I have is forgiving you of your shortcomings. You know, being self-aware would help us so much in creating that type of culture. And I'd like you to be honest with yourself this evening. Are you living a different message than you're teaching? If you're a dad in a home and you're trying to teach your children to go to church and be involved in church, etc., I can tell you, dads, you need to go to church and be at church and be involved in church, etc. Are you teaching a different message by your actions than really what's the words that's coming out of your mouth? Romans 2, verse number 21 says, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest not thou thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, do thou steal? Or dost thou steal? You know, that verse basically just means practice what you preach. That's what it means. That the words that come out, if I get up before you and I preach this sermon, I really ought to live that sermon. If not, I'm missing the point. Uh, Let's go to number two. Do you display the attitude of Christ even in disagreements? When you disagree with a brother, do you still show the attitude of Christ? You still love, we talked about it this week, speaking the truth in love, let your speech be seasoned with grace. Do you show that kind of, do you show the example of Christ even when you disagree? I'm telling you about some things that are very hard for people to do. And can we be self-aware enough to know that when we have weaknesses in those areas that we, we try to tone down the tone and recognize that we're trying to love and care about one another? Number three, are you helping the church culture or contributing to the secularization of the church and the community? And basically what I mean by that is this. I got a lot of friends out that are in the world, etc., that go to church or whatever, but I know them outside our church confines, if that makes sense. And, and see them in a lot of different environments. And part of business networking groups and things like that. And these folks, and in fact, it wasn't that long ago, we had a guy that was president of an organization that we had that he, he was talking, they were talking about doing a Christmas party and they were talking about alcohol and some of those issues. And he said, I will never have alcohol at my house. I'll throw a Christmas party, but I'll never have alcohol at my house. And he was just letting everybody know he wouldn't let alcohol in his house. And it wasn't like, a paragraph later, he was using cuss words halfway through the, the sentence. And I'm just telling you in that group, his credibility level just went, Phew. oh yeah, I will never, you know, I'm self-righteous, I'm whatever, I'm just letting everybody know who I am. But down here, I really showed them who I was. And are we doing that? Is our church really impacting the world for Christ through the lives that we live and the example that we show, are we really truly inside us, in our very deepest core, are we Christian people? Or do we come to church and check it off our list? And and that's what I mean by, are we helping the culture of the church in the community? Or are we just contributing to being like everybody? And when I say everybody, that's a generalization. I don't really mean that. But like a ton of other people that just talk church, but we really don't live it. Is that you? I want you to be honest with yourself. I don't know your heart. I don't see your heart. You don't see my heart. All I could do is honestly say the kind of person that I am. And that ought to matter to us. 
First John chapter 3 and verse number 17 says, But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You know what that verse means in Texan? It means if I've got plenty and to spare, and I see somebody else suffering, and I say, I refuse to help someone else, how am I showing the love of God? See, I can talk a game, but that's really who I am on the inside. That's the kind of person I am on the inside. Am I speaking the same things that I'm actually showing with my life? Am I doing that? Are we loving one another, caring about one another? You know, I may disagree with you on something. You may disagree with me on this sermon today. God bless you. You can come back after it's over and go, you know, I disagree with you on this sermon. And I would hope I wouldn't fly off and cuss you out because I, you disagreed with me over a sermon. That'd probably tell you something about me, wouldn't it? But we live in a society that's full of that stuff. We ought to be able to have a Bible discussion and respect one another and love one another as two people that love the Word of God. And we ought to be able to have love for one another and even disagree with one another and still have love and compassion for each other. May God bless you in your Christian walk. I'm telling you, the reason I put this together is a young lady came up to me and said, I converted my boyfriend from doctrinal A... And we're living together in the next paragraph. I'm going, there is a disconnect somewhere in our brains. And if, if we're doing that, if I'm guilty in the pulpit of teaching doctrine, 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 not against doctrine, not leaving that undone, don't leave here and say that I'm against it. I'm not. I'm just saying that if we've got our kids down on doctrine, but we had not got them to the core of being Christians, something's wrong. And I hope tonight you're inspired to be who you're supposed to be on the inside. Don't leave the other stuff undone. Honor the Word of God in everything that you do. But honor the Word of God in who you are as a person. And may God bless you in your Christian walk. The church can help you this evening in any way we want to do that. We pray for God's blessing and God's countenance to shine down upon every family that's here today. Every one of you, pray for God's blessing to be with you. As you leave these doors today, pray for God's blessing to be with you. Want good things for you and your family. I want to see your family succeed at walking a Christian life and a blessed life. And there is so much to, to be offered in living a Christian life. And if the church can help you this evening, starting that journey and saying, I want my heart right. I want to be the kind of person that I need to be. The church is here, willing to assist. Maybe it's you've never been baptized into Christ. Tonight would be a great time to make that start. Maybe you've been baptized, but you've found yourself separated from him. You need communion fellowship with him again. Tonight would be a great time to start. Don't leave the two doors tonight and not have your heart right inside of God. I pray for you this evening that you'd leave here with the right spirit and the right heart. Won't you come while we stand and sing a song that's been selected?